0: Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime Ninja Radio. Today, Lime Ninja Radio. Inflammation and autonomic dysfunction are both present in chronic health conditions in a lot of cases, and that's really where HRV shines.
1: This podcast is sponsored by the Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker. I'm so excited to tell you about our new Lyme Ninja Symptom Tracker. One of the things I hear over and over again, whether it's talking to a patient in my office or consulting over the phone with a client, is just how difficult it is to keep track of progress on their Lyme journey. Recording symptoms daily, or even weekly, gives them too many data points. There are so many ups and downs, twists and turns, that at some point they get lost and confused. The Lime Ninja Symptom Tracker takes all the guesswork out of tracking symptoms with a simple monthly questionnaire. Once a month is the perfect interval to see if that new supplement or protocol is working. Right now, when you take the Symptom Tracker questionnaire, we give you a simple composite score for the month. But we have big plans and the data you enter will not be lost as we roll out new features. Best of all, it's free. Just head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker and sign up. That's LimeNinjaRadio.com slash tracker. You'll be glad you did. Join us every Thursday on iTunes for the latest episode of Lime Ninja Radio. Hello, I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 211 with the founder of Elite HRV, Jason Moore. Also welcome our show producer and the brains behind Lime Ninja Radio, Aurora.
2: Hello, and in this episode, you will learn why a varying heart rate is a good thing, what heart rate variability means for your health, and what happens when it drops.
1: Thanks, Aurora. I was so looking forward to speaking with Jason about HRV. I've started using it in my practice and it's an amazing tool. It's really a way to measure your body's stress levels. I mean, that's a postage stamp explanation, you know, very short, very concise. It's not a hundred percent accurate. It's mostly accurate. It does way more than that. But basically if you're stressed, you're not able to rest and recover. And you shouldn't push very hard. It's another way of thinking about that. There's the conversation about how many spoons you have to make it through the day. HRV, heart rate variability, is a way to physically measure your spoons. And the higher the heart rate variability, the more spoons you have. Anyway, it's just awesome. You're going to love this conversation.
2: As you all know, Lyme disease is an international problem. Each week, we have listeners join us from all over the world. This past week, we had listeners from Spain to Sweden and from Panama to Nigeria.
1: Also, a big shout-out to all you longtime Lyme ninjas. You know who you are. Aurora and I really appreciate you listening. Appreciate you listening. We should start a club or something. Oh, and I wanted to mention, before you got into our top 10 list is that we missed last Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. We promised the week before that we'd make it. We didn't. You may have the image of us as this massive podcast empire. We've been doing this five years, five years, 211 episodes. But really, we're just a mom and pop. Well, not mom and daughter, father. daughter, father, daughter team. We're in my office now recording, looking out the window at the rain here in central New York. It stopped snowing. 25 people. We had had 25 people over for Thanksgiving and a wife slash mother who was running around trying to get everything done. Yes. And did. It was very successful. Once again.
2: Yes.
1: However, that kind of just kicked our schedule all down the road. Mm -hmm. So please be kind to us. (laughs) excuse our foibles and we have good intentions. We just don't always fulfill them and it's not because we don't love you out there. It's because life catches up with us and runs us over.
2: Much like Thanksgiving does.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Much like Thanksgiving does. It snuck up this year. But but it sneaks up every year, I think. Yeah. All right. Where were we?
2: Um we would like to welcome all the new listeners out there. Welcome
1: new listeners. We love you.
2: We're glad you tuned in.
1: And this week, our top 10 tune in cities are.
2: Number 10, Nashville, Tennessee.
1: Number 9, Marshalltown, Iowa. Number
2: 8, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
1: Number 7, Sewanee, Tennessee.
2: Number 6, Fairfield, Ohio.
1: Number 5, Hendersonville, North Carolina. Number 4,
2: New York, New York.
1: Number 3, Newark, New Jersey.
2: Number 2, Coventry, in the United Kingdoms.
1: And number 1, Peachtree City, Georgia.
2: Also a reminder is that McKay is going on vacation in December.
1: Yes, I'm going to recharge, recalibrate, renew, reinvigorate, re
2: invent? Reinvent <laughs>
1: maybe. <laughs> All those rewords for the month of December. We will have podcasts coming out all that month, so don't worry, you won't be without Lime Ninja Radio. And Aurora and I will be back January, rested, recharged, and ready to go. All right, more Aurora. Rewords. <laughs> as many as we can find. All right, Aurora, tell us a little bit more about this week's guest, Jason Moore.
2: Jason Moore is the co-founder and CEO of Elite HRV. He graduated from Texas A&M University and worked for several years as a personal trainer before founding Elite HRV in 2014. His goal is to create mental and physical awareness for Olympians, coaches, athletes, doctors, and patients.
1: Thanks, Aurora. And here's our amazing interview with Jason Moore. Hello, Jason. This is McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio.
0: Hi. Hey, how's it going? It's. Uh, I really appreciate you reaching out and having me on. Happy to be here.
1: Well, I'm so very excited to speak with you. I've been looking at heart rate variability kind of from the fringes, right, from the bleachers. And for a while, I was using an app. I'm an acupuncturist, and I was using an app that used the camera to get some sort of measurement. And eh, I wasn't thrilled with that. I realized it wasn't uh, technically accurate. And then what was out there was the chest straps, right? And that's just not practical in my practice. So, I was waiting for a gadget. And then your company came out with a gadget, the Core Sense, which is a little finger cradle. Much like an oxygen sensor, and mm-hmm. I, I jumped on that right away. So I've been I've been using that in my practice, not very in a sophisticated way, because I'm just using it uh, one of the open readings for for my clients when they come in. But just last night, uh, I had an architect come in, and he says, "Yeah, you know, it's been a really rough week." That it's just been one thing after another and he you know goes on to his story and so we're taking his heart rate variability and sure enough it was down a good solid 10 points it's like wow. and, the, and I said you know what it's it has been a rough week <laughs> so some, <laughs> some people just say that but it's like yeah it's it's effective you so you take care of yourself so having that measurements awesome and let, since you're the expert here instead of me just rambling on what? What is heart rate variability? What is it measuring? How do you measure it? It's like Just the
0: basics. Yeah, sure. So just kind of flowing off of your example there is it's, it's an objective measure, first and foremost. So we kind of keep that in mind of our current condition, basically. And that's kind of the simplest way to describe overall. But if we unpack that a little bit, essentially what we're looking at is we're looking at tiny little changes in heart rate so heart rate is a piece of it but we're looking at the variability specifically in heart rate so what that means is if your heart's beating like 60 beats per minute is an easy example it's not just one beat per second precisely it's usually like 0.98 or point uh, 1.01 or 1.02 your heart actually changes in tiny millisecond differences between each beat and it's undetectable most of the time and you mentioned accuracy of different devices that's a big deal because we're trying to get hyper accurate measurements of those changes between each beat why because those actually correlate to activity from the nervous system and other systems in the body So this is kind of a non-invasive way of measuring some of those deeper systems like the nervous system without having to do any invasive kind of procedures or anything like that. We kind of have this unique opportunity now where consumer-grade hardware, which is pretty accessible to most people, is accurate enough, especially combined with good software like a mobile app, for example, to measure the activity of your nervous system in virtual real time, specifically the autonomic nervous system. So again, as I kind of dig into this, let me know, cut me off if I'm going too deep, too fast, or if you want me to explain anything further, but
1: the autonomic. Uh, Yeah. Our audience is pretty savvy. So I think you can dive right in.
0: Oh, perfect. So, the autonomic nervous system is kind of the branch of your nervous system that's responsible for all of the automatic behind-the-scenes processes that you're not necessarily consciously controlling. So, things like blood pressure, blood sugar regulation, inflammatory response, immune system response, uh, pupil dilation, sweat, sexual function, digestion. It plays a role in all of these processes, which you can imagine are Quite important. And one of those also is regulating the increase and decrease in your heart rate. And so when you exercise, you want your heart rate to increase um, because it's going to be delivering energy and nutrients to around the body, amongst other things, to kind of prime your body for dealing with that exercise stress, right? And if you don't do it, like, for example, if you just jump out of your chair and your heart hasn't had a chance to speed up, you might get lightheaded. Um, if your if your heart rate didn't speed up for exercise, you might pass out or something like that because you're not able to deal with that. And conversely, when you're resting, you don't want your heart rate to be beating out of your chest. Uh, you want it to be kind of lower, relaxed, Um, because you want to conserve energy, you want to repair, rebuild, rest, and you don't want your heart racing all the time when you don't need it to. And that, those are kind of bigger examples of what your nervous system is constantly doing every single beat. It's basically kind of, if you paint a picture of it, it you could almost say that it's adjusting every single beat to make it the best that it knows how for the situation that you're currently in. So even in response to changes in your breathing. So another example where we kind of drill down to acute changes in heart rate variability is when you're at rest, if you inhale, your heart actually speeds up temporarily, and as you exhale, your heart actually slows down temporarily. And that's a part of the contributor to that is respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And so When you're at rest, you should be able to kind of see that if you're having a normal respiratory sinus arrhythmia expression. And so the app can show you that. For example, you can do tests where you're just breathing normally and then tests where you're following kind of a breathing pacer that helps you emphasize those inhales and exhales a little bit differently. And you can see changes in your HRV in virtual real time, which is kind of interesting and neat because not to go too far off on that, it's allowing you to actually gain control over a process, which is your heart rate that you don't normally consciously have control over. And that's called biofeedback. But that's that's a whole other aspect of it that we I'm happy to talk about. But um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting because when you're measuring HRV over time, you can really understand what your nervous system is doing and you can start to isolate different variables to say, okay, today... My body seems to be under a lot more stress or it's dealing with a lot of stuff internally um, from maybe different sources which we can unpack. Or, hey, today is a better day and I'm starting off on a on a good foot. Maybe it's a good day for me to try to up the intensity of my exercise just incrementally, right? So it's there's a lot of different things you can do with it, but I'm happy to move in any direction you want.
1: Well, let's talk about the influences, like what goes into making the heart rate variable? Is it hardwired into our brain? Is it a response to physical changes? Like what exactly goes into keeping that heart rate good? And let's, let's also, we kind of skipped over it quickly there it's like what's the range of variability i mean it's like can you be too very i mean obviously if you have palpitations and things are totally irregular we're not talking about that but is there an upper limit on what's good and and how about on the other like when does it become dangerous
0: yeah that's a good question in most cases when somebody is at rest there's not much you, you can do to yourself in the natural world to improve or to increase the variability beyond a healthful range. And so there's definitely things you could do in the unnatural world, such as stop breathing or something like that, which is not naturally that easy it's to do. It's not recommended. <laughs> um, definitely not recommended and not naturally very easy to do. But you know, yeah, if you're if your heart basically stopped beating for for 30 seconds and then all of a sudden beat a fluttery beat, that's a pattern that we wouldn't be <laughs> wanting, right? But the variability that we're talking about is just kind of these small increases and decreases that are basically almost imperceptible to if, uh, if you were going to be measuring your pulse with your fingers, for example on your wrist or your neck, or even a basic heart rate monitor won't even notice these this variability. So it'll tell you your heart is beating at 80 beats per minute or 85 beats per minute or whatever. And it'll just tell you, unless you change your position or you kind of jump up and down, that's not really going to change too much. And that's the type of variability we're talking about, is this really subtle variability that's really hard to detect without accurate hardware. And um, yeah, basically the range then is, it's kind of, uh, there's a lot of statistical values that fall under the umbrella term heart rate variability, but uh, what we do is we take some of the most research-based values that people design for research studies and not necessarily for day-to-day practical use, and we combine those into a 1 to 100 score, right? And so typically what that means is the average score is 60, and people may fluctuate like five points a day, which is not too abnormal. It's individual to each person, but typically you'll kind of fluctuate up and down, maybe five points here and there, and that's plus and minus, so you can go up and down day to day. And like you said, a 10-point change is usually a, a bit more of a significant change for most people. There are some people who fluctuate that much regularly, but they're fewer and far between. And what we're talking about when I say up and down, like this score, is let's say your score is 60 normally, and then you score a 65. That means that you have more variability in that reading. So you have a little bit more variability to your heart rate in that reading than you did on your other ones where you were scoring 60 and that's actually a good thing generally if you're at rest and so the kind of coming back to the physiology of it is there are there are a number of things that influence heart rate and heart rate variability but specifically the autonomic nervous system which we're really interested in measuring when you're at rest it allows the heart to be more variable Uh, And when the body's under more stress, it kind of tightens things up a little bit and decreases the variability of heart rate. So like when you exercise, typically your heart rate goes up, but your heart rate variability goes down when you exercise. And, uh, And then conversely, if you do something like meditation or guided breathing, typically that will increase your heart rate variability as opposed to just sitting idly,
1: for example. So one way of looking at it is that it's measuring the body's ability to recover. Is that a good enough thumbnail understanding?
0: Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the biggest use cases for it. And as I've I've kind of said before, it's it's heart rate variability, it's almost like a, a double-edged sword when you kind of start digging into it because it's a very systemic marker. And it's kind of, it's influenced by a lot of things such as sleep or nutrition or exercise or mental stress, um, environmental stress, digestive stress. And what you might kind of find a theme in here is that stress is actually at the root of what kind of influences heart rate variability. So on one side of the equation, you have sources of stress. And on the other side of the equation, you have your ability to recover from those sources of stress. And you will kind of want to balance that. In fact, usually as biological organisms that have adaptation, we kind of want a little bit more on the recovery side, just in case the stress we have experienced gets a little bit more in the near future, right? So a lot of times what we find ourselves in situations in the modern world Whether it's from kind of society, kind of working ourselves hard, balancing, you know, uh, our finances and our social life and trying to eat healthy and exercise and not lose all of our friends and all of that stuff. There's a lot of things we're juggling and kind of always worrying about. That's a lot of chronic stress that we're dealing with there. And uh, and then we kind of sacrifice a little bit on the recovery side. So we don't always eat as well as we could. We don't always sleep as well as we could. Some A lot of times we skip some of that exercise, which is a healthy source of stress usually. And so there's a lot to balance. And then you can add on top of that, that uh, we have some demands on our body from modern uh, society that weren't there historically, like pollution chronic health conditions that stem from a number of different sources including like food that we're not designed to eat and and things like that. So um, there's a lot of stress on the body and so typically most people do better by using HRV as a tool to tr- try to figure out what are my major sources of stress So I know it's it's impossible to avoid stress but I know that when I deal with these sources, I need to really emphasize my recovery as much as possible. So, like, let's say your job is a major source of stress. Well, I really need to optimize my sleep and my nutrition as much as I can so that my job doesn't break me down even further, for example. And that's a simplified example, but uh, we can break down how HRV fits into that if you want.
1: Let's bring it around to chronic illness or major illness as well, since the name of the show is Lyme Ninja Radio. And I I know one of the things that uh, got me very interested, I've heard you mention from time to time, although not in detail, like how is heart rate variability being used in this context? Are there studies out there? Uh, Is it helping clinicians?
0: Yeah. So that's a great question. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of research. Around this topic right now, but there's not a lot of clinical evidence in the sense that it's not covered by insurance, that type of thing. This is probably not a surprise to you or your audience that a lot of the ways that HRV is used in the clinical world for helping with chronic health conditions is uh, it's not insurance-based or medicine-based or anything like that. People are using it to kind of drill into the root cause of a chronic health condition. And it's a very kind of functional medicine approach to dealing with chronic health conditions. And from there, a lot of times uh, what we find out is that either, either as a cause or as a related factor, inflammation and autonomic dysfunction Are both present in chronic health conditions in a lot of cases. And that's really where HRV shines in that space is it's heavily influenced by autonomic dysfunction as well as inflammation. And so, you know, kind of coming back to what we were saying earlier was a lot of the demands placed on our body, whether it's chronic health or, or some of the other root causes like Lyme disease or something that's more kind of uh, just environmental like nu- bad nutrition or pollution or something like that, it, it causes inflammation in the body to rise as, as well, as well as it can deplete the autonomic nervous system over time, which again is this system that's responsible for immune system function as well as delivering nutrients and things around the body. And a lot of demands are placed on that. Eventually, it can actually deplete or become dysfunctional. And HRV can help us kind of measure inflammation as well as the state of the autonomic nervous system. And whenever we're able to decrease our inflammation or improve the function of our autonomic nervous system, that gives kind of across the board a better likelihood of a favorable outcome even in specific disease cases. So hopefully that wasn't too roundabout of of a way of kind of letting you know how it's how it plays a role in a major uh, role in those situations. And we can kind of unpack some examples if you like.
1: Well, if you have some, that's that would be awesome. I was very intrigued by your statement that essentially it's an, another way of, of measuring inflammation in the body. Because normally what we think of inflammation, we think about measuring, I don't know, A1C or homocysteine or C-reactive protein, some sort of blood marker. But here's a device you put on your finger – Right, it takes two minutes or maybe a little bit longer to get a measurement, and you can have a, a pretty good idea of what's going on. in In the Lyme community and other chronic illness, where they're dealing with sometimes major fatigue, people talk about this concept of having spoons. Have you are you familiar with that? Mm, spoons? No, I'm not familiar. It's a, it's a lovely concept. I just learned about it. Uh, not too long ago. And the idea is that a spoon is is like like a match in it for uh, cyclists, so, so that you only have so many spoons for your day, right? And let's say brushing your teeth takes one spoon up, right? And to, it's a way of people kind of being gentle and honoring their, their system's need to be in that rest and recovery mode and how little energy they actually have. So – going out and shopping may take five spoons, you know? Mm -hmm. And so depending on the type of day it is, you know, some days you wake up and this kind of ties back into the HRV and recovery and what elite athletes are using it for to help them manage that. But this may help on kind of on the lower end of that where uh, the equivalent of going out and training really hard today for somebody who has Lyme disease or another chronic illness might be, okay, I'm going to do my laundry today. And then right. kind of looking at the HRV and saying, you know what, I'm up a couple points. Maybe today is a good day to do, to do laundry.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah, I mean, uh, a quick example of what you just said is um, there are some people who deal with kind of fibromyalgia-type scenarios, and they've used HRV to increase their exercise from... Pretty, you know, starting with maybe five to ten seconds of sustained exercise up to in some cases, four minutes of sustained exercise. and these wow, people, that's awesome yeah, that it's huge. And if you're not dealing with a condition like that, it may be it may not sound as um, magnificent as it is to the people who go through it. But if you imagine those folks starting out, Where they couldn't exercise longer than five or ten seconds without extreme pain, then getting up to four minutes is a huge win, and also will pay big dividends across the board in their health and well-being because, as we all know, being able to move the body is kind of important. And
1: that's what they're telling us,
0: (laughs) (laughs) right? And um, so, explain uh, how
1: how did they use how did they use the HRV in that setting.
0: So it was almost the same as your uh, laundry example. And basically it was like, okay, for folks that are kind of listening and new to HRV, a lot of the times the way people measure it is they'll take a two-minute reading first thing each morning. And you just kind of keep your little finger sensor by the bed. There's no like finger prick or anything. It's literally just kind of clips onto the end of your finger. And you just take a two-minute reading. Over time, the app kind of develops... A pattern for you and it it starts to understand what your normal hrv patterns are and then subsequent readings so let's say you took readings all week and then now it's thursday you take your morning reading it'll give you a green yellow or red light kind of based on how its noticed changes in your hrv so you say okay in this example um if i wake up and i'm in the yellow or the red well especially for the fibromyalgic group—that's um, a really important uh, thing to pay attention to—and they would not; they would either decrease the amount of exercise or keep it the same. And on days when they're in the green, they would maybe try to add a few seconds to that. And they've actually found that. No other kind of exercise plan was was working for them to increase the amount of exercise they were able to sustain until they started tailoring it based on signs from their own body, which the HRV was providing. And so on green days, they were able to add a few seconds. On yellow-red days, they were uh, either keeping it the same or reducing it or taking a complete rest day, depending on the individual. And then they were able to increase that over time slowly. And uh, you know the neat thing about it is the algorithms actually evolve with you. So uh, it's not going to always keep you at the five to ten seconds of exercise in this example, or if you're kind of if you're already up to thirty minutes of exercise or something, or you're not dealing with some condition like that, then it'll evolve with you as you get more fit or as you get less fit, depending on how you how you actually go about things, but and it's not only about exercise so some people will use it to uh, to uh really know if they've had a bad night's sleep for example so um you know people always say you need to you need to sleep at least 8 hours um it has to be perfect and you need this many sleep cycles and stuff like that well that's all great to aim for but in reality you know, it doesn't usually play out that smoothly. And we also have demands on us that change day to day, week to week, month to month. And so uh, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of data to show like, oh, yeah, OK, you know, I, I've only been sleeping maybe five hours or something like that, which is maybe normal for some people. But I've only been sleeping five hours a night this past few days. It's really showing up in my HRV that my HRV is going down, 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 down. And I know that when that happens, it's going to make things harder for me when I'm trying to manage cravings. I'm trying to have energy to uh, function at work or deal with my family, balance my finances or even exercise. And so uh, it's kind of some red flags there to say, okay, look, I really need to get turn this around. I either need to uh, reprioritize things so that I can get more sleep or I really need to boost myself in some other ways, so integrating some guided breathing, going for a light walk, or uh, in other cases, there's more kind of targeted interventions that you can do, like supplementation um, or medication, depending on the scenario. That's fascinating. Uh, First, I have a comment. Having the
1: objective measure is such an important piece, because we've all been like coming off of a flu or something like that is like the first day you finally feel decent guys are like, yeah, I feel awesome. And then you go downstairs and then you walk back up the stairs and you're like, Oh my God, I can't make it up the stairs. Um, (laughs) You know, it's so I would, I would imagine, I haven't measured that, but it would like your heart rate variability wouldn't be all the way recovered at that point. It's like, okay, you may be feeling better and psychologically you're feeling better because you're not feeling miserable anymore, but you're not actually recovered yet. So having that kind of window into okay, what's actually going on beneath the hood, it would be awesome. Now the second thing, you mentioned supplementation and medication to help. And before maybe we get into like what what those herbs or supplements would be, has it been used the opposite way? It's like, okay, this supplement or this medication isn't good for me. And it's decreasing my heart rate variability. Is there any work out there on that?
0: Well, yes. A lot of times, if it's working in that direction, the study doesn't get published because whoever's funding it didn't uh, <laughs> w- w- wants to uh, bury it, <laughs> move in a different direction, maybe. Yeah. But <laughs> there is a lot of interest in using heart rate variability to prove that something is uh, helpful, or at least is not. Um, measurably harmful in the sense of heart rate variability. Yeah.
1: So let me interrupt you. Why I ask is a lot of times people in the chronic illness community, people with tick-borne illnesses like Lyme, they're experimenting constantly trying to find the right mixture of supplements to help them feel better. And there's this what's called a Herxheimer reaction. You're probably familiar with that, where you take uh, an herb or something and it kills off an active infection and you feel worse, right? So that's definitely putting a stress on you. But then the other thing that happens is people will mistake an adverse reaction to a supplement as a Herxheimer. Oh, you're detoxing, just stick with it. And you know the thing about a Herx, it's temporary. So it's going to last a day or two, something kind of like just getting over the flu and then you'll feel better but i think some people hang in there too long so again to have some sort of measurement to say wait a minute i've been taking i don't know what it is i've been taking glutathione now for or gaba for a month and you know what my my numbers are going consistently down here so maybe this isn't the right supplement for me and rather than just basing it solely on okay how i feel cuz we'll you know we'll suffer through stuff cuz it's supposed to be this is supposed to be helping and it feels something so it must be doing something good especially if we have a positive attitude.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, actually, that last couple of words was interesting because there is a lot of perception that goes into a lot of this. But, you know, just kind of breaking that down a little is oftentimes there's there are things that can increase health like uh, medication or supplementation or different diets or things like that that can have like a bit of a, a period of adaptation to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um And so – it's definitely kind of good to see what the landscape is and work with a qualified practitioner or somebody that can help you look for those signs and and to say, okay, is this just an adaptation period or is this not working for you? And HRV can be one of the tools in that toolkit. And usually, so if something improves HRV, it doesn't necessarily mean it's long-term good for you. Um, But if something decreases HRV, it usually means it's not good for you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so an example of that is anti-inflammatories. So taking anti-inflammatory drugs will usually temporarily increase heart rate variability. But if you keep doing those and become dependent on them over time, HRV often returns back to its original state or gets worse, and that kind of is mirrored oftentimes in people's health uh, and the effectiveness of those anti-inflammatories as well. And so that's not to say that anti-inflammatories are never a good thing to use, um, but they may just be a good tool for acute situations or temporary relief or just taking the edge off so that you can then live your life and address other things. But, you know, not as a one-size-fits-all solution to increasing health and, and uh, reducing inflammation. So then the flip side of that is, like you were just saying, there are supplements that seem to be pretty benign or um, or help to, for most people. And then uh, other people may have a, a bad reaction to them, but not necessarily realize it because it could be cumulative or subtle um, or maybe people just think this is how i'm supposed to feel things like that and hrv can be a good objective measure if it decreases to kind of say hey something maybe not right here you might want to figure out what it is right yeah Uh, and so
1: yeah so what i do quite a bit of work with uh, genetic based nutrition and sometimes what we'll find is somebody will have a genetic pathway that's gummed up and let's just take for example making glutathione we all know glutathione's wonderful and there are lots of different ways to to supplement that and increase it but some people will take glutathione and initially because they're so deficient they feel wonderful it's like it's a miracle they feel so great you know some people have iv glutathione uh drips things like that but then because of the pathway what happens is it starts sparing some other protein, some cysteine, things like that, that can back up and then create maybe too much glutamate. So they get anxious or too much ammonia and they get brain fog or muscle soreness and real serious toxicity that way. So what started out as being a wonderful supplement that they felt awesome is, is exactly what you're talking about, this kind of inverse J-curve. It starts to then take its toll. And- we often forget because you took it initially and you felt so awesome. It's like, wow, maybe you know maybe I need more of it. but having some sort of measure to be able to unpack it's like, okay, something's actually you know driving this worse. And I, I'm not having the positive impact that I did the first dose of glutathione, the second or third one. Now all of a sudden, I see my heart rate variability goes even down more now rather than recovering
0: right and just to you know just to be open about it is that hrv won't necessarily me- be able to indicate everything uh, you know you know it's not a Shucks. um <laughs> it it is uh it is a very powerful marker that responds to a vast uh, a lot of things so I- anything really that's kind of impacting the entire system right in a strong way will typically influence hrv but it may not also be a large enough influence to where we can pick it out of the noise of normal day-to-day fluctuations
1: yeah it's such an important point thanks for bringing that up
0: yeah yeah i just you know i i just i think it's important because there's a lot of excitement around hrv because it it is a very powerful tool but i you know it's just dangerous and especially you know i'm i'm Deep in the HRV world, I, I love it. It's a great tool. Um, but I also, it's just almost for myself too, to never get carried away to say, like, yeah, just measure HRV and all You're your done. problems right. will go away. Yep. But what I like to think of it as is it's an objective self awareness tool. And when things are widely moving out of their norm, it usually picks it up. So um, if you want to translate that to an exercise example, if you just do kind of bicep curls where you're only just moving one joint and isolating that one muscle, that's not really going to impact your entire body very much, right? So the next day, your bicep might be sore, but overall, the body is like, well, that wasn't too bad uh, And if you can do bicep curls without pain, for example, versus doing something like uh, a squat where you're moving kind of multiple joints, you're lifting your whole body up and down and engaging the nervous system a little bit more because it's doing a bit more of a complex movement. Something like that, if you do a few reps of the next day, it may definitely influence your heart rate variability because of that more systemic demand. And so similarly, within other realms, if there's something that's kind of low grade and a small a factor. It may not show up as much as something that's having a deeper impact, and that deeper impact could be acute or it could be chronic. Like for example, if you've if you've been dealing with a chronic disease, and let's say it's been ten years that you've been dealing with it, well, over time it's probably had a really big impact on your body, even if in the very beginning it may not have been like a crisis right away, right? And so over time, you'll see that HRV come down most likely. But in the very beginning, it may not have changed very drastically unless there was some big acute change in the beginning, right? Yeah. You know, that's
1: fascinating. Many people's story with Lyme disease is finally when they unpack everything, they figure out, you know what, I was bit a long time ago, and I had forgotten all about it, but it took them sometimes decades uh, to get sick and a, a triggering event, so it'd, it'd be fascinating if that was part of a doctor's chart. If you know they come back with your yearly checkup and saw, you know this is interesting. Is your your HRV over the past ten years has been decreasing? You know, there's got to be something that we need to track down. That that type of information would be so useful. And again, uh, you know, I don't want to say I'm very excited about. It, you can tell. And your point is so important that this is just another tool in the toolbox. It's not the end all be all. It's not the Star Trek tricoder. But if you're the type of person who likes to hack their systems and another way of looking at what's going on under the hood, it's a wonderful, wonderful input. Now, Jason, in, in wrapping up, there are quite a few practitioners who listen to this. So can you give us like your company's access points? And if you're, you know, somebody who's a professional healthcare person, what would they access? If somebody's, you know, just a patient, what would they do?
0: Yeah, definitely. And like you said, uh people can start out with the core sense uh, or a chest strap if they prefer that option. Um, And we have those over on EliteHRV.com. And along with that is our companion app, which is free. Um, So individuals can start measuring their HRV anytime, anywhere, as often as they like. Most people do like once a day and first thing in the morning, for example, what we call our morning readiness reading. And then we also have educational material, which is one thing that both health hackers, so to speak, and also practitioners really like. And that's over at hrvcourse.com. And that's uh, about a three and a half hour video-based course. Takes about five hours once you actually go through and do everything. But it really talks about the science of heart rate variability and builds on on it in a structured way from the ground up, then taking you into practical application and how to address different scenarios with it. And that's at hrvcourse.com. And then for, for the practitioners, we do have what we call our team dashboard, where you can aggregate and analyze the HRV data of all of your clients in virtual real time as well. So when they take their readings at home, you can get an indication on your dashboard of how their HRV is changing day to day. And then kind of also what you were saying a minute ago, one nice thing about heart rate variability is there's a lot of data out there now comparing different demographics and different normative data. So if you don't have 10 years of HRV data, that's okay, because you can kind of get an idea of where you're starting by comparing yourself to demographic norms. And so age influences heart rate variability and a, and a whole host of other factors that I mentioned before. You can kind of say, okay, um, you know, I'm dealing with this health condition. I'm 45 years old and I take my HRV and it's a 40. What does that mean, right? So you go look at the chart and say, okay, well, for a 40-year-old or a 45-year-old, um, the average score is like a 52 So I'm 12 points below the average for my age range. Uh, That is not an emergency cause for alarm in most situations. It just means there's room for improvement. And you also may be wondering, okay, well, I wasn't sure if I had some type of health issue beyond what's normal. And now I kind of have a little bit of data pointing that I am below average. So it's kind of a worthy goal to then try to work towards increasing that. And there are things that you can do that increase it faster versus waiting another 10 years to see if it actually has improved. And I want to highlight one of the things you mentioned earlier is that the
1: software that you have, the Elite HRV, normalizes or or uses your own data to figure out what the baseline is. It's really quite sophisticated, rather than just comparing to the general population. So the feedback you're getting... About whether you're having a good day, that where you can maybe exercise a little bit more, burn those spoons a little bit more, is based on your data and not some just average number mean out there.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's such an important point because let's take the fibromyalgia example from earlier. They may be the same age as an elite athlete, right? And so if we were just putting those people on the same scale, And we were telling the elite athlete every day, hey, congratulations, you're an elite athlete. And then telling the other person, hey, just so you know, you're still dealing with this condition. Yeah, thanks a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that would be the most depressing thing on one end of the spectrum and the most like useless thing on the other end of the spectrum. So you're basically the real power in a lot of these is not necessarily always comparing yourself to the normal of the population. It's comparing you to yourself over time and seeing your journey and how it's evolving. You're always going to have times when you go up and times when you go down. But when you have a visibility of that, you can try to reduce the time spent going down and increase the time spent going up. And then you wake up hopefully five, 10 years later, and you're been going up more than down and you're in a better place right
1: yeah awesome jason you've been very very generous with your time i really appreciate it and i have one final question I kind of a takeaway and i know it's almost impossible but i'm going to challenge you you, you seem up to <laughs> it <laughs> you're in the green zone this morning so, if Jeez. there was if there was one thing that somebody could do right now to improve their HRV you know not take a supplement but something they could do like in the next 24 hours what would that be
0: Oh, to improve it in 24 hours I would say get in touch with your breathing breathe diaphragmatically a little bit more slowly diaphragmatically means kind of feel kind of your abdomen move when you breathe um, that would have the one of the most acute effects on HRV that almost anyone anywhere can do But if I want to say, what can you do to improve your HRV and keep it improved, is I would say almost everyone can improve their sleep. And one of the two of the most powerful tips I have for that that are often overlooked is try to get outside or move around a little bit in the morning. And they're both around circadian rhythm. And the other is avoid bright light and stimulation one to two hours before bed. And if you do those two things and, and maybe not eat too late or drink alcohol too late, just sneak in a couple extra tips there. Um, <laughs> if you do those two things, then I would say oftentimes within a week, people see improvement in their sleep. And that's a lasting change that almost always has an immediate impact on heart rate variability as well. Jason, thank you very much yep, yeah, thanks thanks so much, McKay. I really appreciate it, and'm uh, happy to be here.
2: This was a really interesting interview, and you know it it seems like h r v can be used as almost like a warning system absolutely, yeah. And I was just thinking of it because there are so often times when I'm like going along, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing a great job, blah, blah, blah. And then I wake up the next day and I feel terrible. And I'm like, what happened? I thought I was doing okay. Right. That sort of thing.
1: My favorite analogy, it would have been helpful when I had my Lyme relapse. Mm. I bet that would have shown that things were dipping down. So an occasional measurement with HRV, when you go to your doctor's office once a week, acupuncturist office once a month, something like that is helpful. But really having an app like Elite HRV and measuring your status every day, the software learns who you are, learns what your levels are, and gives you an idea what's going on. And the best analogy I have is you know, after you have a flu or a really bad cold. And that first day where you actually feel good, it's like, yes, I feel great. And then you walk downstairs and then you walk upstairs and you can't make it halfway <laughs> up the stairs. You're like, oh my, I'm tired. Or I thought I was more tired, mm-hmm. tireder, really tired. <laughs> but you get my point, despite the bad grammar. Yes. And that's what the HRV shows. So sometimes we can feel okay, but deep inside us, we're either striving to, you know, oh, I gotta get something done with athletes, these highly driven athletes, are like that, I gotta go out and train hard. And they're used to pushing through, tired and exhausted is what makes them great athletes, particularly with distance type of things, cycling people and marathon people, triathlon, things like that. But at some point they're burning themselves out. And it's the
2: same thing with the chronic illness. The same thing
1: happens with chronic, chronic illness. Yeah. And The example he had with fibromyalgia is amazing. So These people were able to gain strength, you know, starting with, what did he say, 15 seconds worth of exercise or something something like that? that. But using the heart rate variability to say, okay, today's a day where I can go to 30 seconds. You know, so we're not just talking about the elite athletes here. We're talking about using this information for people who are really, really ill. So this is something you can get yourself for Christmas. Take a look at it. It's not that expensive. The app itself is free. If you have a heart rate manager, you can get one from a friend. But then the clip on finger thing, I think is $120, $150, something like that. Just over a hundred bucks. Highly recommended. You will be glad you got one. Oh, and I don't get any money for this. It's just something I'm very excited about. Just, just to let you know, there's no kickbacks here on this product. All right. And speaking of non kickbacks. <laughs> We're going to be rolling out the Lyme Ninja Radio Tick-Borne Illness School. It's free. What's happened is we have more than 200 episodes, and they're not really categorized. We're going to endeavor to categorize them in, in sections that make sense. So if you want to learn about, let's see, vitamins and minerals, or if you want to learn about genetic nutrition, or you want to learn about the basics about Lyme, or tick bite prevention, or keeping deer out of your yard, something like that, you can go to this school. Lime Ninja Tick-Borne Illness School, and click on a module, a lesson plan, and then you'll get several podcasts and some notes on how to do that topic. It's going to be free, but you're going to have to sign up for it. So head on over to limeninja.radio.com. We will let you know when the doors open for the Tick-Borne Illness School. If you like what we're doing here at Lime Ninja Radio, hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode.
2: And if you really like what we're doing, leave us a review on your podcast app.
1: And if you really, really like what we're doing and want more, be sure to head on over to LymeNinjaRadio.com to get notified when we open the doors to our tick-borne illness school.
2: Do you have any feedback, suggestions for guests, really anything, send an email to feedback at LimeNinjaRadio.com.
1: Yes. Keep the feedback coming. We love it. The good, the bad, the ugly. We do read every email that comes in and we try to respond to most. It helps us do a better job for you. So thank you for those sending in the feedback. We appreciate it. Yes, we do. And last, as you long-time Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day.
2: Did you know a ninja once won a guitar battle with a ukulele? <laughs> for considering any new treatment.